You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Good morning, Radiant Church. It's a great morning, actually. Not a good morning. It's a great morning. So... My name is Carter. I'm the youth ministry intern here at Radiant Church. You may have seen me in the kids' classes serving or on the media team or at youth nights. Um, Just wanted to let you guys know why I might look familiar. But if not, hey, it's Carter. I'm Carter. It's nice to meet you. So this whole series is about Revelation chapter 2, a letter to the seven churches. So in the book of Revelation, John addresses seven churches. Jesus is telling John what to say to these churches, by the way. So, the first week in our series, Troy taught about the church of Ephesus, and they had forsaken their first love. Last week, Pastor Marco taught about the church of Smyrna. They were a church that needed to remain faithful, and the church at Smyrna experienced persecution, and they were encouraged not to fear. So this week, we get to dive into the letter to the church of Pergamum. And it's like the best one because I like it. So it's Revelation 2, 12 through 17. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to, re- turn to there. Revelation 2, 12. Um, if you don't, don't worry. The words will be right behind me on the screen. So to the church in Pergamum. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. That doesn't sound fun. Yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they may eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Church, will you pray with me? God, I thank you for bringing everyone here today. I thank you um, that your word still speaks today just like it did then, and it will forever, God. I pray that uh, each of us would just open our hearts, let our guards down, and that we would allow your word to just apply to our lives, God, that we would apply to our lives, and it would change us to become more like you, God. In your name I pray, amen. So in 2007, there was a 10-year-old boy in California, and it was a hot summer day, and he was playing the matches. He was playing the matches, and he caught a piece of buckwheat on fire. It's not like the cowboy rolly one that goes across the movies, you know, but it's buckwheat. So he caught it on fire, and that actually caught his entire backyard on fire. And then it spread like literal wildfire to 38,000 acres, evacuating 1,500 people from their homes and completely demolishing engulfed in flames Destroying 22 homes. All that started from one match. 
You know, the same thing happens with our compromise. It leads into more compromises, and there's a big, there are consequences to our compromises. So that's like a picture I want to paint in your guys' heads because it helps make this more applicable, applicable to, for today. So just think, that one match started that whole ablaze. That one compromise, it has consequences. So let's talk about where Pergamum is, first of all. Pergamum is in, uh, it's right above Thyteria up on the map there, if you can see. And it is known as a city where Satan lives. I don't know about you, but I don't want the city where I live to be known as the city where Satan lives. That doesn't sound too happy. I mean, I'd, you can just call it the city. You don't have to say it's like the city where Jesus lives. Like, I don't want to live where the Satan where Satan lives. Of course, we all strive. We want to live where Jesus lives, right? So, at that time... Pergamum was a center of Roman emperor worship, and those in power demanded allegiance to worshiping a godlike emperor. There was a large throne-like altar built on a cliff that overlooked the city. It was for a Greek god Zeus. I've got a picture of that. And you can see first right here in the bottom left is the Roman theater that could seat 10,000 people. But if you look up, you'll see the altar they built for Zeus Imagine building an altar for a fake God. That would not, that's kind of pointless, right? But they did it. So this kind of paints a picture. They were like worshiping false gods. They were literally going against everything the Bible says, right? And it makes sense why it's a city where Satan lives. Because it's full of darkness. Completely full of darkness. So let's dive into the actual letter itself. Each of these letters to the churches has a commendation, a correction, and an instruction. So basically, it's what you did good, what you're doing good, what you need to fix, and then how to fix it. So let's go ahead and start at verse 12. And it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. So John is writing the words of Jesus to the church of Pergamum. But it's important to note that it's, just, it's not just for the church of Pergamum. It's for the church as a whole. That includes us. It's for the whole body of Christ. So these words are relevant to us. So keep that in mind. Don't be like, oh, wow, those guys in Pergamum, they really need to hear that. No, we all need to hear it too. So verse 13, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So this is where the commendation is. Like there, Jesus is like, you're doing this good. I'm like, great. You are holding fast to my name, even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was killed among you. So let's talk about where Satan has his throne. People there worshipped other gods, the emperor, and idols. It was also the home of the Roman proconsul. The Roman proconsul, it actually dictated the rulings of the court. And back then, Romans were not too fond of Christians. In fact, they were like the exact opposite. And they, I mean, you can just imagine, like, if they're dictating the courts, anything you do that's for God, you get persecuted for, right? 
You get persecuted for that. So you can just tell how dark it is there. Pergamum was also the home of pagan worship and cults, including Zeus, Athena, and many other false gods. And do you know specifically where like Satan's throne was built on or what it was built on? It was pride. Pride is what got him casted out of heaven. In Isaiah 15, 13 through 15, he has five I will statements. Satan does. It says in verse 13, You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like most high. What type of person would put themselves in the place of God to be worshipped? What kind of person puts themselves above every other person, including God? Someone with extreme pride. And that's Satan. And he, was, he dwelled in Pergamum, in that city. So just let's, let's know that this is a super dark city. Verse 14, actually, no, let's talk about uh, Antipas. It says, they held fast to my name, even when Antipas was martyred for his faith. So witness in the Bible actually means martyrion, which is a martyr, which is someone in this context, he died for his faith in God. And Antipas, while theologians aren't positive of exactly his place, like in Pergamum, Many believe he was actually the pastor of the church in Pergamum. So, let's move on to verse 14. But I have a few things against you. You have some, notice it says some, not all. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also... You have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So Balaam, the whole doctrine was to seduce the people. Balaam told King Balak how to get the Israelites to commit sin. By enticing them with sexual immorality and food, uh, and food sacrifice to idols. Their whole idea was a little sin doesn't hurt. A little match doesn't matter, right? A little sin doesn't hurt. That's wrong. Galatians 5, 7 through 9 says, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. The teachings of the Nicolaitans, they taught, they wanted to dominate the people. They taught that you could live in sin and still call yourself a disciple. It was a doctrine of compromise. It was also, in that, that culture there, it was a culture of compromise. What do I mean by compromise? I mean they cared more about their comfort than obeying God. They cared more about what other people thought than what God thinks. They wanted to sin. They basically put their sin above God, like, oh, I can do this. No, that's compromising your faith. So the point here is there are consequences 
to our compromise. There are consequences to our compromise. Just like that match, there were consequences. Maybe it starts with a small compromise. Maybe it starts with a white lie. And that white lie turns into you, let's say you... Um, let's say you're married, you talk to someone of the opposite sex, and you're having a conversation, and then you hide it from your wife or your husband. And you are, like, that's a small lie you tell them, a white lie. Next thing you know, you're deleting text messages, you're hiding more lies. That one lie turns into about 15 more lies at least, right? Next thing you know, you're in divorce court. Because that one white lie, that one compromise led to that. So there's no such thing as a small compromise. It's called a compromise. So verse 16 says, Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is the correction. Let's notice that he says, therefore, repent. So John, Jesus is telling John to write to them what they need to do. He's saying they need to repent. And you notice what else it says. If not, if not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. That's Jesus warring against us if we don't repent. That's what happens when we, when we put our comfort above obeying God. That's what happens when we put our sin above God. That's what happens when we put idols above God. When we're compromising our faith for our comfort or any of those things, there are consequences. We gotta repent of that. Right here, Jesus is saying, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth if you don't repent. So, do we have enough reverence for God? Do we have reverence at all for God? Do we have enough holy fear? Do we have enough holy fear? Yes, God is love, but God is just. God is just. And he said, or Jesus said right there, if not, I will come to you soon and war against you with the sword of my mouth. That'll speak right there. Now, Let's keep going. Jesus says in verse 17 that we will be rewarded for our obedience. That's a reward. So you got the commendation. He's commending them for something because they held fast to his name. Then he does the correction. Hey, you're living in sin. You think it's okay. You're compromising. You're compromising for your faith. You're compromising your faith for your own comfort. For your own sin, for your own uh, anything. But when you compromise, and I'll give some more examples, but when you are compromising, you are taking God, Jesus, from the Lord of your life and putting him here when we're compromising. We're saying, no, this is better. Well, I can tell you right now, Jesus is better. So, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That right there tells us we're going to get rewarded 
or we're going to get, have consequences. There's a reward for our obedience and not compromise, but on the flip side, there are consequences for our compromise. So I want all of us to ask ourselves, what are we compromising? Are you causing others to compromise? Because right now we have to understand that this message, I know the first, you're probably thinking, oh, so-and-so should be here because they need to hear this message. No, 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 no. This is for you. This is for me. There are consequences to our compromise. I don't want you to sit there and be like, you know, Edith could really hear this message. No, I need to hear this message. I hope there's no one named Edith here. But, (laughs) if there is, I'm sorry. But, I want you guys to take this message and take these words that Jesus said, that John wrote, and apply it to your own life. Look at yourself. Get the plank out of your own eye before you get the speck out of someone else's, right? So, I want you, don't consider like other people in this. These questions are for you. So, are you compromising? Because maybe you think it's okay to gossip, so you're gossiping. I'll tell you what, right now, I'll tell you right now, gossip turns into a lot. It spreads like wildfire. Are you compromising because you'd rather gossip? Right? Pornography. You think looking at those images on the internet isn't a big deal? Wait till it ruins your relationship. Doesn't matter if you're single in a relationship or married, it's not right. It's not right, it's sin. You're compromising for your own pleasure. We're not, we're not to do that. Lying. You think a little white lie is harmless. That's compromise right there. A lie, you guys have probably seen the VeggieTales show where the little white lie digs a hole, and next thing you know he's 10 feet in the ground because of more lies. A white lie leads to more lies, and it spreads just like wildfire as well. And it causes, they cause a lot of destruction. Pride. Maybe you think your pride isn't an issue, right? The most prideful people think they don't have a problem with pride. <laughs> so if you're like, oh, that's not me, check yourself. <laughs> so you care more about your comfort than obeying God. I was talking to, I just got done preaching out of camp, and one of the guys is talking about how you visit your comfort zone, and you just stay like, oh, here's the edge. Oh, no, you just go back, right? Go back into your comfort zone. We're not called to be comfortable. We're called to obey. So, oh, yeah. So, bitterness. Do you hold grudges against other people? Are you holding on to unforgiveness because you think that person deserves it? I'll tell you right now, bitterness and unforgiveness hurts nobody but you. And are you compromising because you're, you're better than that person? No, you're not. No, you're not. God tells us to forgive other people. And if we're holding on to that bitterness, I've seen bitterness hold people back in, in crazy ways. It holds them back. Holds, it, makes us, it quenches the Holy Spirit in your own life because you're holding on to bitterness. You can't hold on to bitterness and worship God at the same time. Addiction. Let's use an example. Maybe you're addicted to alcohol and you know it and you think it's still okay to have one or two, even though you know you will end up having a lot more. And it leads to a lot of destruction, right? 
That's not for everyone, but that was probably for someone here. If that is you, then you can't, you, you better not compromise because it leads down a dark path. Addiction to anything, you can't compromise. So, you think compromising just once isn't a problem. You think just light, lighting that one piece of buckwheat isn't going to do anything. Save that to the 22, 22 homes that got destroyed. Completely. Our compromise. There are consequences to our compromise. Let's take it one step further. There are consequences to my compromise. You have to tell yourself that. It's not a random person like Edith. Like I said, I hope you're not here, Edith. <laughs> or online. <laughs> They're going to call me out. Anyways, there are, comp- there are consequences to your own compromise. And the devil will take your compromise or foothold and turn it into a stronghold. You'll become a slave to your sin, a slave to your compromise. That ain't a good place to be. We're called to be children of God, not slaves to sin. So, are you causing others to compromise? Matthew 18, verse 6 says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's deep. That is deep. Are you gossiping to others and getting them wrapped up in it? Are you putting others in environments of sin? Are you allowing sin in your own household? And you know it? That's compromise. Those are all causing other people to compromise as well. You're making a way for them to compromise. You're putting a stumbling block before them. And these are Jesus' words. These aren't mine. It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea rather than cause one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble. We got to stop causing other people to compromise. What you do in moderation, your kids and the next generation will do in excess. Think about that. What you do in moderation... They will do in excess. So like John mentions in verse 14 of the letter, we need to stop putting stumbling blocks in front of those around us. Stop causing others to compromise. There are consequences to our compromise, but thank God for his forgiveness and grace. If you've been sitting there and like, oh my, he's preaching. He's, there's a, there's great, I got great news for you. There's forgiveness and grace for you, right? You don't have to stay a slave to sin, a slave to your compromise. You can turn to God. That is the best part. That is the gospel. So, the church of Pergamum had multiple strongholds. Jesus said to repent from them and to turn their ears to the Spirit. That means obey God. This message isn't just for the church of Pergamum. I cannot stress that enough. It's for all of us. It's for every church in the entire world, every person that calls himself a Christian. I'll tell you right now, there are churches out there compromising. They want to be culturally acceptable over believing and holding the word of God to what it says. There are Christians out there who want to affirm everybody rather than believe in what God says, right? Right? We're called to love everybody, but not affirm everybody. 
That right, that right there, I could do a whole message on that. Whew. So, Matthew 13, 31, we're going to dive into. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to there. The kingdom of God also starts with something small. An act of obedience. Just like that little match, that compromise, it also, in the same way, the kingdom of God is like that. The rule of God in your life. It starts with one simple act of obedience, and it also spreads like wildfire, and it's the best thing ever. Let's talk about the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast in Matthew 13, 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Let's pause right there. Our act of obedience, our faith in God, is the same way. It plants out small. It might be a small act of obedience, but it grows. It grows. And other people look at you and think, oh, that's a big tree. I want to be like that tree. And, like, trees pollinate. You know that? So, like, when you are out there, like, sharing the gospel, other people, you're giving them the opportunity by being a light for Jesus for them to grow and for them to say yes to God and for them to start with a small act of obedience. Verse 33 says, he, still, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. That's a lot of flour. <laughs> that's probably, a, like, that's got to be a lot because flour ain't that heavy. So, but it says, she took the yeast and mixed it through about 60 pounds and it worked through the entire dough. Once the spirit, once you get, once you make Jesus your Lord, oh, it spreads. It spreads. It spreads to those, you look different to people. People come up to you, they're like, how are you so happy all the time? Right? There are, just like there's consequences to our compromise, there are rewards for our obedience. So in the same way, the kingdom of God starts the same way with just one act of obedience. You don't have to wait until you have it all together or until you have it all figured out. You don't have to wait until next year once you've researched, or once you've read the whole Bible. You don't have to wait. You can turn to God now. I've had a friend tell me before, I'm going to wait until I hit the bottom of the barrel. Don't do that. That's the worst advice. They even told me after they did hit the bottom of the barrel that it was really bad advice. Don't wait until you hit the bottom of the barrel. Turn to God now. Don't wait till your foothold turns into a stronghold. Obey now. Give your yes to God. It all starts with that one small act of obedience because God meets us where we're at. And then he calls us higher. You know, there's three things, I didn't say this last service, but I got to say it now. Being with Jesus. When we are spend time with Jesus, we do the second thing. We become like Jesus. And as Christians, we also are to do what Jesus did. I'm excited for Wednesday night because I'll tell you what, I was at Bay Shore a couple weeks ago preaching, and I witnessed miracles. I saw the faith of kids who didn't even know Jesus when they started at that camp because we trick them to go in there by saying it's a basketball camp, right? <laughs> Works every time. But they came there for basketball. 
I had over 20 kids come up to me after that camp. There were 190 kids, I think. And they came up to me and said, hey, I came to this camp for basketball, but I left with Jesus. I'm leaving with Jesus. You may have came here just to go to church, but you can leave with Jesus. You don't have to live in that lifestyle of compromise anymore. You don't have to, you don't have to compromise God or your faith at all for anything if you obey. It all starts with that one yes. So, turn away from gossip. Turn away from lying. Turn away from your pride. Humble yourself. Turn away from bitterness. Forgive others. Turn away from disobedience. Turn away from your addictions. Turn away from pornography. All that, all sin, turn away from it. Don't compromise. Turn away from your comfort. Maybe you're here and you're like, I've been following God for a while, but it kind of feels the same. Maybe because you're just stuck in your comfort zone. Maybe God is calling you higher to come closer to him, but you're on the edge of your comfort zone and you're a little afraid to take another step. Stop compromising. Take that step. Be bold. Obey God. When God speaks, it says turn, it said repent and to turn your ear to the spirit. That means obey. You can repent, but are you going to obey? Are you going to walk towards God? That's part of becoming like Jesus. But all that starts with one thing. Your yes to God. That small act of obedience, turning away from your old life. The Bible says we're made a new creation. We're made new. So all the compromise you did do, it doesn't define you. In fact, it actually helps you speak into other people's lives. It helps you go, oh, wow, I was there, but wow, God has brought me a long way from that one step of obedience, that one step of obedience. So the way to stop compromising is to start obeying God. I was walking the boardwalk in Bay City yesterday, and I was like, all right, God, how do you stop compromise? And that's exactly what I felt. The antidote to compromise is obedience. And that obedience starts right now. In this place today. In your hearts. And it doesn't, leave, it doesn't stop when you exit those doors. It goes with you. Because guess what? When the Holy Spirit's inside of you, he doesn't just come inside you at church. He's always with you, right? Always with you. So if you are here and you, you're like, hey, I've been compromising, there's grace and forgiveness for you. You can repent from that and start obeying God. Give me your yes. Be like, hey, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. If you're here and you're like, wow, I didn't even come here. I, just, I mean, I came here, but like, I didn't think it was going to be this. Maybe you're like, I don't really know God. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know everything. Start today with your Yes. Open your Bible. Read more. Pray. Worship God, right? Maybe, you're, maybe you have been walking with God, but you notice that you're compromising in some areas of your walk with God. Start obeying. Start, take out the, repent from your compromises, from your sins, and turn to God. God will help you. He wants to help you. We're his children. He picks us up. So if that is you, I want you to make that decision. I want you to give God your yes. Again, be like, hey, I'm, a, I'm actually all in. I'm actually not going to compromise. I'm going to hold Jesus here 
and nothing and nobody is going to go above him because he's the Lord of my life. And I'm going to obey. I'm no longer a slave to compromise, a slave to sin. So we're going to close in prayer. And if you are here and you realize that you have not been holding to the truth and you have been compromising, we would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. Our, Our prayer team would. Don't let the devil deceive you anymore. Don't let the devil deceive you any longer. Start obeying God. And it starts here. And if you need prayer for anything else, our prayer team will be here as well afterwards. And we would love to pray with you too. So church, will you go ahead and pray with me? God, I thank you. I thank you for these words that you had John write that are not just for the church of Pergamon. They are for us, God, your children. I thank you that each of us is going to leave this place different. We're going to live for you in stronger ways than ever before because we're done compromising. I thank you for your spirit and how you talk to us, God, how you communicate to us, God, and how you show us what to do and how you do tell us what to do and we will obey God. I thank you. In your name I pray, amen.